MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. I think Trump is quietly threatening the Supreme Court. I think he is sending out messages via surrogates, passive aggressive messages now presumably with the option to revert to his normal tone of stochastic terrorism later. And the message is the Supreme Court had better decide the presidential immunity case and the 14th Amendment disqualification cases in his favor or else. The first time I thought this, then dismissed it as paranoia on my part, and told myself that even Trump would not be reckless and self-destructive and insane enough to try to bully the Supreme Court in some public manner, passive-aggressive or otherwise. Besides which, it was just an inference on my part. It couldn't be true. Now it's happened again, and I realize that something else that I did not even recognize at the time could contain the exact same subtle hint to Alito and Roberts and Thomas, but especially to Trump's appointees Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Handmaid Lady. Enough of the process. The first piece of evidence. I mentioned it yesterday. Maggie Haberman, legacy media pipeline to and from Trump, goes on CNN over the holiday last Friday and says Trump, quote, has voiced some concern that a court that he appointed three of the justices He is concerned that they are going to look as if they are trying not to rule in his favor and might rule against him. I thought this was semi-lucid and sort of legit by Trump. That'll teach me. Yesterday afternoon on one of the hours Fox pretends is non-opinion news, Martha McCallum played the clip of Maggie Haberman saying that on CNN, 
and turns to Trump's parking lot law scholar, Alina Haba, and asks her nothing. She simply plays the clip and then says to Haba, what do you say about that, Alina? And the phrasing of that question alone says this is one of those appearances in which Trump's people have demanded to be put on Fox to make a statement. And Haba says, yeah, that's a that's a concern that he's voiced to me. Um, he's voiced to everybody publicly, n- not privately. By the way, a lawyer is not supposed to reveal those conversations with her client, not about an active case. But that's not what Haba was on Fox for. She was there to spell out a message to an audience, not of one, but of three, three who wear robes. I can tell you that his concern is a valid one. You know, Republicans are conservative. They get nervous. They unfortunately are uh, sometimes shy away from being pro-Trump because they feel that even if the law's on our side, uh, they may swayed much like the Democratic side, right? So they're trying so hard to look neutral that sometimes they make the wrong call. Um, And I just encourage them to really look at the law and the Constitution. It's a very clean cut, Martha. There's There's no politics that should be involved in this. It's just simply American. Wait, she's talking about Republicans and Democrats getting swayed and then suddenly the Republicans turn out to be justices on the Supreme Court, and then she reminds them politics shouldn't enter into this and that the only American verdict is pro-Trump. Then comes the denouement in which she might as well be saying, Neil, Brett, Amy, the boss has a message for you. If the justices read the law, as I do, as as most Americans and attorneys do, even Dershowitz, who's a known liberal, um, it's just a simple decision and it should have nothing to do with if you're a Republican or a Democrat. There is no valid reason to say any of that about two cases that will be decided by the Supreme Court soon or late unless you are trying to influence the justices of the Supreme Court and accusing them of as Habba phrased it, trying so hard to look neutral that sometimes they make the wrong call. That, spoken in milquetoast terms by a lightweight idiot, is a threat. Low-key, superficially benign, but a threat nonetheless against the Supreme Court. Oh, and then, as always, Trump and or his people say one thing too many and give away the entire game. This postscript from Alina Haba, after all of that, confirming that they first leaked this to Maggie Haberman to make sure the justices heard this threat, no matter which news they watch. It's Maggie. I'm a friend. I'm a friend of Maggie's, even though we're on different sides of the coin. But she's right. The president's always concerned about people worrying about that. Okay. Maggie Haberman and Alina Haba are friends. So after all of that from Haba, if you're also wondering who Maggie Haberman's source is inside Trump land, one of them, Trump talks to her, then insults her, then threatens her, then talks to her again, always has, always will. Maggie Haberman's source is Alina Haba, Trump's parking lot law scholar. But I said there had been three examples now of Trump putting the threat out gently, for now, to Justice Gorsuch and Justice Beerbong and Justice Handmaid 
And frankly, I was so startled by the admission of possible guilt from the other lawyer, Trump's legal scholar from the 23rd worst law school in America, that I missed Christina Bob's subtext here. The president is elected by the entire nation, and it should be the entire nation who determines who they want for president, whether they're guilty of insurrection or not. It's up to the people. If Alina Haba is saying to Justice Plagiarist and Justice Beerbong and Justice Handmaid, hey, you better rule for Trump because politics can't enter into this. And by politics, we mean anybody who is not pro-Trump. And if this isn't clear enough yet, he'll just go on social media and suddenly you'll get what he gave Judge Engeron and Judge Chutkin. If that's what Alina Haba is saying, what Christina Bob is saying is, sure, go ahead, Supreme Court try to rule against Trump and then try to enforce it because it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what the law says. The people are with us and they will get what they want. And the implication there is they will get what they want because we fixed the Supreme Court. But if the Supreme Court does not stay fixed, we can always resort to the threat of violence. It's what we do. And when we actually finally go whole hog on political violence in this country, as we inevitably will, because this election is literally life or death for Trump, it will look so much better for Trump if the first violence is against Republicans who tried to stop Trump. Or, as Haba put it, they're trying so hard to look neutral that sometimes they make the wrong call. I just encourage them to really look at the law and the Constitution. It's very clean cut. There's no politics that should be involved in this. It's simply American. Criticizing justices of the Supreme Court for trying so hard to look neutral. That is a threat. These are threats. These are threats against sitting justices on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And I don't care who they are, and I don't care how they got there. And, oh, by the way, the threat so blithely delivered by Haba, that happened about three hours before other Trump lawyers, including the laugh-out-loud funny Harmeet Dillon, of all people, formally appealed the Colorado disqualification to the Supreme Court. Here's your warning, and here's your case. And one would think that while Kavanaugh is too stupid to get all this, but also too compromised to fight back, Gorsuch, who is intelligent, if corrupt, and Barrett, who is intelligent, albeit a religious nut, they would realize that to cave to these Trumpian threats, the velvet-gloved ones now from parking lot lawyer, or the chain mail-gloved kind from Trump mobs later, these Trumpian threats and giving into them can mean only one thing. More threats. A lifetime of threats. A country of threats. It is harrowing stuff, even in the context of the last three years or eight years, or the 40 years since Rush Limbaugh washed out of sports and decided to take his revenge on American society. 
It is harrowing stuff, especially when it is coded in the stupidity of the language of what Don Henley called in his classic song, Dirty Laundry, the bubble-headed bleach blonde. But it underscores how close we actually are to more focused political violence in this country, courtesy Dementia J. Trump. And you think Supreme Court justices can't be bullied? Not two years since Alito had the draft of the overturning of Roe v. Wade leaked in order to blow up the Roberts negotiations with Kavanaugh and Barrett for a gentler ruling, and you think the Supreme Court justices are not being bullied now? They just have not been bullied with violence. Yet. So the much-anticipated Biden campaign pivot on Trump if not the colorfully coined full Hitler, then perhaps the high percentage Hitler, turns out it starts Saturday. The president will give a speech near Valley Forge Saturday. There, the president will make the case directly that democracy and freedom, says deputy campaign manager Quentin Folks, two powerful ideas that united the 13 colonies and that generations throughout our nation's history have fought and died for, a stone's throw from where he'll be Saturday, remains central to the fight we're in today, unquote. The fight we're in today? Well, if Trump wins, per comms director Michael Tyler, he, quote, will use all of his power to systematically dismantle and destroy our democracy. You bet your ass. I like the language, but where's the either or? Where's the daisy ad? Where's the you are voting on this? Oh, here it is. Campaign manager Julie Chavez Rodriguez. Our message is clear and it is simple. We are running a campaign like the fate of our democracy depends on it because it does. With a tip of the hat to the Times pitch bot waiting for the New York Times take on this. The fate of our democracy depends on the 2024 election. Here's why that's bad news for Joe Biden. I wonder if Trump knows what Valley Forge is. Oh, right, right, he knows. One of those airports we seized during the Revolutionary War. Saturday, Valley Forge. Be there. Aloha. You know what Saturday is, right? Saturday is January 6th. Also of interest here, have I ever told you the story about the day that then-Senator Joe Biden took me to lunch to ask my advice on how, when he spoke in public, he could seem less angry? Well, I'm going to tell it to you again with an important update. Plus, are you worried about Congress? Well, here's the problem right here. C-SPAN promoting its live coverage of, quote, U.S. House end of fist session of 188th Congress. Your tax dollars in action. That's next. This is Countdown. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. 
And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Oberman. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, Dateline, Bristol, Connecticut. Oh, bit of a conundrum at the worldwide leader as New York Jets quarterback. Well, right now you'd have to say former New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers and the new ESPN centerpiece Pat McAfee have combined to get their fellow Disney star Jimmy Kimmel mad enough to threaten to sue them. Kimmel did not say anything about also suing his own employer. Trust me, this is contraindicated. 
Then again, ESPN and Rogers and McAfee have yet to retract or even apologize for what Rogers said on McAfee's show about Kimmel and the Jeffrey Epstein list. Quoting Rogers, there's a lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, really hoping that doesn't come out. I'll tell you what, if that list comes out, I definitely will be popping some sort of bottle, unquote. Leaving aside the easy jokes about Aaron Rodgers and what kind of bottle, within hours, Kimmel had tweeted a, quote, dear asshole, unquote, message to Rodgers. For the record, I've not met, flown with, visited, or had any contact whatsoever with Epstein, nor will you find my name on any list other than the clearly phony nonsense that soft-brained wackos like yourself can't seem to distinguish from reality, unquote. And by the way, props to Jimmy Kimmel for expressing concern about the increasing likelihood that Aaron Rodgers has some sort of post-concussion issue. To resume Kimmel's quote, Your reckless words put my family in danger. Keep it up and we will debate the facts further in court, unquote. Yesterday, as fake images supposedly from that list mentioning Kimmel were distributed on social media and they were fake, Yesterday, McAfee said only that, quote, I can see exactly why Jimmy Kimmel felt the way he felt, especially with his position, but I think Aaron was just trying to talk shit, unquote. McAfee then tried to insist that as long as you were trying to talk that, it really couldn't be libel, slander, or defamation. He also seemed to imply Rogers would appear on the show later to explain himself, which naturally, as a cowardly person, Rogers did not do. The story was complicated further when the website Front Office Sports reported that Rogers, who McAfee admits he pays for his appearances on his show, is not on some sort of ad hoc per appearance fee basis as had been presumed, but rather has a contract with McAfee's show, quote, that would be tough to void, unquote. That raises a real problem, because if Rogers has a contract with McAfee and McAfee has a contract with ESPN... Yeah, probably legally ESPN has a contract with Rogers. The business of TV sports is shrinking, and there are lots of things to do about that. Under previous management, ESPN once thought that what to do about it was to make a deal with the infamous juveniles at Barstool Sports. ESPN fired them after one, one in parentheses, show. The problems inherent with this guy McAfee to say nothing of whatever the hell is wrong with Aaron Rodgers are starkly evident right at the moment. McAfee has no idea what he's doing or what's ethical or, more importantly, what he can and cannot get himself and or ESPN sued over. Hate to break it to you, Pat, but he was just talking shit is not an acceptable legal defense. There is one solution for ESPN, which is, namely, cancel McAfee's show today for cause or just pay him off. Get him off your air because the next crisis is going to be worse, whatever it is. And don't forget, the Kimmel crisis is not over with yet. I mean, I have no idea if he has even thought of this. But if I were Jimmy, my play would be to go to Bob Iger, the chairman of Disney, and reenact the Chick Hearn Al Michaels saga from 1967. You don't know the Chick Hearn Al Michaels saga from 1967? Well, Al Michaels was Chick Hearn's rookie sidekick on Los Angeles Lakers basketball broadcasts. 
four games into the 1967-68 season, Chick had had enough. The team was at LAX and ready to fly to a road game in San Francisco, if I remember how Chick used to tell it. And Chick Hearn walked up to the Lakers general manager, Fred Schaus, and said, Freddie, baby, the plane leaves in half an hour. Either I'll be on it or Al Michaels will be on it, but not both of us. Your call, baby. If you need me to get on that plane, come find me. I'll be in the bar. Michaels, Chick said, was fired somewhere near the courtesy phone. Jimmy Kimmel is more valuable to Disney than is Pat McAfee and Aaron Rodgers. Kimmel can sue, and you know what, I think he should, but it would be much more fun for him to go to Bob Iger and say that either the Pat McAfee show or Jimmy Kimmel Live will be on today, but not both. And for Jimmy to tell Iger if he wants him to do Jimmy Kimmel Live to come find him in the bar. Thank you, Nancy Faust. Still to come on an all-new edition of Countdown, the day the future president of the United States asked me to lunch to try to help him seem more righteously indignant and less angry when he spoke in public. My lunch with Joe Biden, the update in things I promised not to tell coming up. First time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's... Worst, 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 persons, worst, and the world, 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 world. That's me speaking in public. The bronze, worse, Bree Mogenberg, chairperson of Moms for Liberty in Isabella County, Michigan. According to posts by Jennifer Strickland Seabolt and an outlet called Distill Social, we have another Moms for Liberty scandal. First, of course, was the co-founder in Florida and her husband, and their girlfriend, and the rape allegation, and the videos, and, 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 and in Michigan, Ms. Seabolt is, or was, the wife of the Republican chairman of Michigan's 2nd District, and she and Distill Social claim her hubby was having an affair with this Bree Mogenberg, not only the local chair of Moms for Liberty, but she's also been seen at state board of ed meetings in a Wonder Woman costume. So yeah, I'll make the same observation I did after the Florida thing. Moms for liberty? Oh, so it's that kind of liberty, huh? Worser, the runner-up, Congressman Troy Nels of Texas. You already know that on immigration, the Republicans are, like on every other topic. Uh, let me use the words from the guy on ESPN. Talking shit, unquote. But rarely is it as easily confirmed as it was yesterday by this January 6th denier, Nels, as Speaker Mike Johnson and other Republicans held a photo op at the border, Nels confirmed it. The Republicans want border problems, want uncontrolled movement, don't give a damn about the presence or absence of migrants, 
legal or otherwise, or anything about them or their impact in this country. While many Republicans are demanding that the Senate and the president adopt their hardline H.R. 2 bill passed last summer, Congressman Nell says the House should reject any deal, including its own bill, that it passed. Quote, I'm not willing to do too damn much right now to help a Democrat and to help Joe Biden's approval rating, the insurrection sympathizer told CNN. I will not help the Democrats try to improve this man's dismal approval ratings. I'm not going to do it. Why would I, unquote? I don't know, Troy. Maybe because you fascists keep saying it's a crisis and your munchkins want to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary for not doing enough about it. Now you're saying you won't do anything about it, which basically means you want to impeach yourself. I got a phrase for you that sort of sounds like impeach yourself, only it doesn't have the word impeach in it. But our winner, the worst, C-SPAN. The promotional tweet for its coverage went out at exactly 11 a.m. Eastern yesterday. It was a nice picture of the House chamber the way it ought to be. Empty. And the caption, U.S. House, end of fist session of 118th Congress live on C-SPAN. Wow. Talk about trying to hype the ratings. Even C-SPAN? Can I have Aaron Rodgers on C-SPAN? C-SPAN. End of fist session of the 118th Congress or the Lauren Boebert story. Two days. Worst persons in the MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. 
Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. To the number... Oh, forgot to play the song. Number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promised not to tell revised edition. And I have mentioned this before, but now 2024 sits there in front of us like a cliche that only dates back to the year 1882 and a short story, The Lady or the Tiger. We stand in a public arena behind one soundproofed door is our perfect match, the companion For the rest of our lives, behind the other soundproof door is a tiger that has not eaten lately. And we have to pick one, being saved or being devoured. Early in 2007, my phone rang at MSNBC headquarters in New Jersey. The senator would like to take you to lunch the next time he's in New York. He needs your advice. Would you be willing to do that? It was Joe Biden's press chief. My first reaction was to ask if they had called the wrong number. My next reaction was to make sure this was not some policy question, because as a news anchor and commentator for MSNBC, it did not seem appropriate for me to offer advice to a candidate for his party's presidential nomination, and (laughs) doesn't that seem quaint now, Sean Hannity? No, I was told. It was more technical, more about communications, less about content. My antique news standards satisfied, I said, sure. And they gave me a couple of dates, and they suggested, given his schedule, the best place for us to eat would be a restaurant in Manhattan. And I laughed, and I said, yeah, that's great. It happens to be about 45 seconds from my apartment. The day and the hour arrived. It was March 27th, 2007, and I made it to the restaurant, and I sat down, and moments later, in came the senator from Delaware. He had that big welcoming smile and equally big welcoming handshake that you may have seen from back when candidates could still go greet the people in a crowd. He reminded me that we had met briefly when he was in Los Angeles for the 2000 Democratic Convention, and he happened to be staying in the hotel there in which I lived at the time. Senator Biden then said some nice things about my days in sports and particularly about the commentaries I had begun to do the previous summer on MSNBC. Those special commentaries, he said, with first a smile, then a whistle. There was then and there remains now almost no space between the public Joe Biden of the campaign or the presidency, 
and the guy who talks informally to some knucklehead off the streets, which in this story would be me. There might be a few more swear words. The word malarkey was used during our lunch, and I remember that particularly because, as I told him, I went to grammar school in Hastings-on-Hudson, New York, with a kid named Billy Malarkey. He was delighted by that, and he said he assumed we gave the fellow a hard time, and I said, yeah, but not because of the name. None of us third graders knew what malarkey meant. Then why did you give him a hard time? Senator Biden asked. It was the third grade, I deadpanned. Everybody gave everybody a hard time. You like that answer. But back to the point of the lunch. Your language, he said, in these special comments. Well, people often brought up the language. I used to do things like, you know, telling President Bush to, well, you know, shut the hell up. Because I had to say hell rather than the word I wanted to say. And some of the events of that presidency so infuriated me that I would redden on camera. And I don't redden in a sauna. Once, my high school history teacher, a distinguished and elegant man whose nine older siblings had been born in Vienna and who had the courtliness with which that would be implied, mentioned to me the language of the special comments, and I thought, oh boy, here it happens. I'm in for it now. He, Walter Schneller, had told me on the day I graduated that my plans to become a sportscaster were very nice, and he was sure I'd go and do that, but that he was also sure that I would wind up in politics someday, either as a reporter or as a combatant. And I told him, I was flattered, and I will always like you, Mr. Schneller, and you're out of your mind. Mr. Schneller was also the one who years later was put in charge of the school's surprisingly generous fund for bringing in speakers to address the student body. He was very annoyed by the fact that for decades, and he got there in, I believe, 1960, all of the speakers at the Hackley School in Tarrytown, New York, had either looked like, as he put it, Hugh Seide, the columnist of Time magazine, or they had actually been Hugh Seide, the columnist for Time magazine. Mr. Schneller began scouring the Northeast for anybody smart who might have a diverse background, and that is how he happened to be driving to the railroad station at Tarrytown, New York, one morning in the year 1991 to meet the train that carried that day's guest speaker at the Hackley School. He was an editor of the Harvard Law Review, and his name was Barack Obama. Anyway... Mr. Schneller and I were talking about the commentaries, and he said, about the language, Keith. And I braced myself and preemptively apologized. No, no, he said urgently. You missed my point entirely. I'm amazed that your language is so restrained. If I was speaking, I'd have called Mr. Bush a... Whereupon Mr. Schneller made reference to somebody's mother. So... Back to lunch. When Senator Biden asked about the language I used, I was wary, but he followed it up by saying that it was kind of why he had asked me to lunch. I watch the commentaries you do. I don't have a choice. Everybody sends me the videos, and my staffers tell me about them. And every time I think the same thing. You express anger, but as close as you come to the line, you never go across it. I say to my staff, folks, is he too angry for you? And they all say, no, just right. 
So here's my question, and then we can enjoy this great lunch. When I'm passionate about something and I speak on the Senate floor or on the campaign or anywhere else, I get told by my friends and by my enemies, you're too angry. And when I really am angry, they all say, you're really too angry. And here, Joe Biden laughed. Now you, you go on TV, far larger audience, far longer speeches, and people say, that Alderman, he's righteously indignant. With a mixture of laughter, astonishment, and curiosity, he said, me, I'm angry. You, you are righteously indignant. How do you do it? How do you do it, man? Can you tell me? Without thinking, I replied, you've been in the Senate for how long now, Senator? 30, 34 years? He nodded. And you're only just asking this question now? The words were barely out of my mouth when I froze. This wasn't a friend or a colleague or even an athlete who would take the little joking jab I had just thrown. This was a politician. They may have senses of humor, but very few have senses of humor about themselves. In that split second, I was confident Joe Biden would get up and leave. And he was silent for a moment. And then the corners of his mouth turned up, and to my great relief, he burst into laughter. He rocked back into his chair. He slapped the table with a palm. My God, that's funny. More laughter. My God, that's true. Louder laughter. I do not apologize when I say I have loved him ever since. I didn't think I actually would have had much advice for him and was prepared to just go through the lunch having lunch. But as we talked about this topic, he asked me follow-up questions that made me analyze for the first time some of the processes I used unknowingly when writing and reading on television. I had never thought of them before because I had never had had lunch with Joe Biden before. I will not bore you with the full results of the dissection of the process or how to turn anger into righteous indignation, if that's really what I was doing. The most valuable conclusion was simply the oldest one in the book. I always wrote late at night while fully angry, and then in the morning, I would take a lot of things out, usually adjectives. Whatever anger was left was only the most intense and the most justifiable. And if you present it 24 hours after you have written it, you will be in control of the anger and not have the anger be in control of you. In short, sleep on it. That was in March 2007. I saw the senator next in August of 2007, a Democratic primary debate officially called the AFL-CIO Candidates Forum, Soldier Field, Chicago, outdoors, 95 degrees, threat of thunderstorms, Obama, Clinton, Biden, Dodd, Richardson, Kucinich, Edwards, and the moderator, me. There are photos of this. Joe Biden and I walking towards each other, hands extended for a greeting. He is literally asking me if I have noticed that he has been trying to turn his anger into righteous indignation. And Senator Biden asking if I thought he had succeeded. They are great photos, largely because my back is to the camera. 
He did not really succeed in doing this in the debate, though. And he actually came over to me during the commercial and told me what he was going to do that he didn't think he'd actually gotten the chance to answer a previous question sufficiently. And he was going to go back to it the next time I called on him. And I told him, don't, 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 don't do that. And he did it anyway. And later he let me know he should have listened to me. Since then, I cannot recall him being angry. Not even in those debates with that goddamned madman. The words were harsh, cutting, destructive, fatal. The tone, no. The tone was dismissive, disappointed, slept upon rage. Perfect. A plus. No notes. But it occurs to me in all of the analysis of all of the changes in Joe Biden since day one in 1973, nobody touches on this one thing. As late as 2007, he seemed to be, his reputation was as a hothead. When was the last time he was accused of that? I'm not saying I had anything to do with that. But in the years now, since January 6th, particularly, it has been a comforting change and not a change within Joe Biden, but within our presidency. And yet now, 2024 may make President Biden have to change back because the comforting Joe Biden is great and the sardonic Joe Biden is greater. But the one who beat Trump and the one we need right now is the Joe Biden of the righteous anger. To circle back to our cliched analogy, we need the tiger. In fact, when Trump chooses between his two doors in our public arena, we need to have fixed the thing. There has to be a tiger behind door one and the same tiger behind door two. I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel arranged, produced, and performed most of our music. Mr. Ray was on guitars, bass, and drums. Mr. Chanel handled orchestration and keyboards, and it was produced by TKO Brothers. Other music, including some of the Beethoven compositions, were arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olderman theme from ESPN2, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Our satirical and pithy musical comments were by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Stevie Vincent. Everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, 303 days until the 2024 U.S. presidential election and the 1,094th day since Dementia J. Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Use the 14th Amendment, the Insurrection Act, and the justice system to stop him from doing it again while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown is tomorrow. Until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck.
Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.